Hallelujah. All right. Hey, if you need a tithing offering envelope, raise your hand up real high. One of these gentlemen will get you. You know the scriptures that you give is going to be given. But I want to remind you of a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. It is the church. It is under a great distress. They are struggling. They uh, are in the midst of needs themselves. And then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, when it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality or of their giving or dispersing what they had. For to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves to give, praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us and the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And this they did not as we had hoped, but first had given their own selves unto the Lord. There is a place that we live beyond ourself. Now, I know that it's not a familiar place to preach about, but there is a place that we can live beyond ourselves, beyond our own limitations, beyond our own skepticisms, considerations, limitations, reservations, intimidations. We can live beyond that place. Now, how do we live beyond that place? Number one, these men, these women in the church of Macedonia could not have viewed where they were as an option to take a leap to go where they were going to go. We must never consider where we're at. What we have to do is consider what God can do no matter what we don't have. Too many times we are judging whether we can come out, whether we can be successful based on what we have or based upon our starting point. But realize God can take death and bring life out of it. God can take the worst situation and turn it around and make it a successful situation. So we can't look at where we are and we can't look at what we have. What we have to do is look at what God is willing to do. The second thing that the church at Macedonia did, they gave themselves unto the Lord. You know, we have to someday, some point in time, we have to allow God to have our life. If God cannot keep us in the time of our need, if God can't bring us through in the time of our struggle, how can we trust him at the end of our life to guarantee us or to secure us for eternity? Look, God is God today just as he is when he raises us from the dead when Christ comes back. And so we have to give ourselves unto the Lord. I was speaking to a, a young pastor the other day, and he was telling me this and this, and I said, listen, what you can't do is look at where you're at to figure out how you're going to get to where you're going. Because God is a master of taking nothing and making something. Amen? Amen? I mean, that's what our lives were. We gave him nothing, and he took it, made us new creations, and put us in heavenly places. Now we are the master workmanship of God's creation. We now are the sons and daughters of God. 
And then they used faith. Faith is what makes us or enables us to live beyond ourselves. If we just live within the realms of what we can do, then faith is exempted. But God gives us faith, and the Bible tells us to just shall live by faith. Faith is a substance that is able to bring us victory out of this world that is dominated by sin, chaos, the curse, the devil is running crazy, evil is everywhere. But faith enables us to live beyond that and to be able to live beyond ourselves. No matter where you are tonight, I'm telling you that God is able to take where you are, to take what you have, and to put you where he wants you to be, and to multiply what you have. And what you have, the Bible says, that a little in the hands of a righteous is much to God. So no matter where you're at, whether it's a penny, whether it's a dime, it doesn't matter. What matters is that if you don't do anything, you're going to wake up tomorrow right where you're at today. But if you dare to believe God and choose to sow a seed, I'm telling you, God can transform your life. Now, sometimes people get ashamed of preaching about seed because we are accused of, well, they just want your money. Well, really, no, all the bills are paid. The bills are paid, we got money in the bank, and we're doing what God wants us to do. But the bottom line is, the old saying is, God doesn't need us. We desperately need God. And so, God still has streets of gold whether you sow or not. He's not looking for something that will bless him. He's looking for some place that he can bless you. The Bible says that God gives you seed to the, to the sower, gives you a seed, and then he multiplies the seed that is sown. So you just tell me how God needs you when he's giving you the seed and then multiplying the seed. What you have to do is break these religious, demonic, earthly, carnal ways of thinking. You have to realize that God loves man, but he doesn't need man. Before man was ever created, God existed. Amen. And so he didn't need man, and he doesn't need man. But man needs God. And so when we come to these places, let's go to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Now, some people would say, well, you know, I just don't believe that you should give to get. Well, that's funny because God believes that. Because he said he gives seed to the sower and he multiplies the seed that is sown. Now, the reason that he does that is so that you and I will have an abundance to abound unto every good work. And that you and I would have sufficiency in all things. Somebody say all things. <clears throat> How many of you know or remember the man named David who was a man after God's own heart? <clears throat> David gave $400 million to the building of Solomon's temple. And he didn't buy rickety stuff. He painted the inside of the temple with gold. Now, that would make about 90% of the church mad. But God really doesn't much care the attitude of the church. He's just going to be God. Amen. See, people are little, 
because they think little. And people stay little because they dare not to think big. But think of David. He said, I'm giving you 400,000, 400 million dollars, Solomon. And this is what I want done with it. <clears throat> In fact, when the temple was destroyed by Nero 70 uh, years after Jesus' uh, resurrection, every stone was taken apart. And every stone was put into a fire in order to get all of the gold out of the crevices of the rock. Now, you would think that we'd say, oh, that's wasteful. Well, I don't know. God uses gold to pave his streets. So, you know, when you think it's wasteful, God thinks it's just ordinary. Now, I'm not telling you that you can't be wasteful. You can be wasteful. But what I want you to realize is that when God builds a city upon the foundation of diamonds, emeralds, carbuncles, listen, he's not really worried about if he's going to have enough or not. So why do we think that God has so much, but he wants his people to have so little? Wouldn't you think it was wicked for you to be eating steak and your kids in the garage eating dog food? We would turn those people in. They would be prosecuted and thrown in jail. Their children would be taken away. Well, if people thought about God the way that most Christians think about God, God would have no children because they'd all be in foster care. We don't have to be in foster care. Now, what I'm telling you is, and I don't know if I'll take an offering or not. I probably will just because I'm preaching on this. But I want you to realize that God has a way that seems foolishness to you. But it is the way of the Lord. Amen? Now, let uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and... Let's look at verse 1. And it says, For as touching the ministry unto the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you, of them to Macedonia and Achaia, and ready a year ago, and zeal, and provided very many yet, have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready, least happy if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, and we say not unto you, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand you a bounty whereby ye had noticed before that ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as a matter of covetousness. So you understand that when preachers ask for offerings, it has nothing to do with covetousness at all. And it says this, but this I say unto you. Now, please listen to these words. This he which soweth sparingly shall reap also what? Sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also. Bountifully. 
Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in some things, may abound in all things, may abound unto every good work. And then he tells you how it is. As it is written, he, God himself, hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to, to the sower, both ministers bread for your food, and multiplies the seed sown and increases the fruit of your righteousness. Now, who is the cause of lack and limitedness in the area of finances? No, not the devil. We can blame it on him. It's not our job. It's not the economy. The Bible says, he that soweth is guaranteed to reap. He that soweth bountifully is guaranteed to now, you and I can live within our means. You and I can live by our own strength. We can live by our own ingenuity, our own skills, our uh, vocations. We can do all of that. And you will live the level of life that the man that hired you wants you to live. Yeah. You're only going to live as high on the pole that he wants you to live. And if he doesn't care about you, you're going to be at the bottom of the pole. And he doesn't care if you're at the bottom of the pole. He cares if you show up for work so that he can live at the top of the pole. Could he get an amen? amen? Absolutely. It's the truth. Now, God gives us a place where you and I can live beyond ourselves that we can have sufficiency unto all things. Amen. Not some things, all things. God's not a man that he should lie. And he's not the son of man that he has to repent of anything that he said. The problem is, is that we say we believe, but we simply don't act on what we believe. Now, that is a tragedy because that in itself is an act of disobedience. And an act of disobedience is what Saul, is what Samuel calls it, is Samuel, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. Anytime that we don't do what God told us to do, we simply reject him. Amen. And most of us have rejected God as being our provider because we simply are not sure if we can trust him or not. That's why we read the scripture, we can quote the scripture, we just never do the scripture. That is a rejection of the government of God in our life. Obedience is simply defined as this. Submission to the rule of someone in your life. And when we see what God wants us to do and we don't do it, then we reject him in our life. Amen. Now, if you reject God in your life, then he will allow you to reject him. But understand that the spirit of God will not always strive with man. Now, God strives with the obedience and the righteous. He doesn't dwell or strive to be with men that are disobedient and rebellious. Amen. Could I get an amen? amen? So God doesn't 
leave all men. He leaves a class of men that have rejected him to be Lord of their life. And that disobedience and that unbelief, that lack of faith, affects all of our life. The Bible says in Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 36, verse 32, it says that the Holy Ghost is given unto them that obey God. In other words, those that see what God requires and does it. And if you disobey God, then guess what? The Holy Ghost is limited to what he can do in your life. He's given to them, John, that obey him. So every time we disobey God, guess what? The Holy Ghost is then put out by a wall. He cannot move into our life. So guess what? He can't show us things to come. He can't lead us so that we can walk in the fullness of God. He can't bring things to our remembrance. I'm just telling you what, what disobedience does. And disobedience just doesn't happen as a mountain slide. It happens every day, just what I'm talking to you about right now. Just living a limited life, saying we believe God, yet not acting on what God has given us. It affects the whole spectrum of our relationship with God. And if we shut the Holy Ghost down so much, David, pretty soon, he doesn't strive with us because we've grieved him and rejected him too many times. God's not begging us to make room for him. He's inviting us. I'll knock at the door. You got to open it. If you don't, guess what? I'll just move on down the block and knock on somebody else's door. So when we're talking about giving, when we're talking about receiving, this really is a declaration whether we're going to believe God or not believe God. Whether we're going to live in abundance or not. Well, I'm comfortable. Well, you know what? There is more to life than you. So we all see pictures of hungry children. We all see pictures of starving dogs. Uh, You know, we send $19 to the dogs and never support the children. And, uh, you know, that's America. And uh, now, so what we do is we know the world is in need. We know millions of children going to bed hungry in America every night. And around the world, children are dying by the thousands. They go to bed at night, they never wake up. They die overnight because of starvation. So your life isn't just about you. Our life, Jesus said, you always have the poor with us, with you, and we are to consider the poor. Sure. The poor is always to be in the forefront of our minds Amen. until they get a revelation of God and God redeems them from their poverty. Amen. Now, so God doesn't want them poor, but that's where they are, not where they have to stay. So we as Christians, even though we have enough, we don't just live for ourselves. Remember, we should have sufficiency so that we may abound under every lousy work, every good work. So just today, all of us have said no to a good work. Not that we wanted to, it's just that we're limited. But the problem is we won't do anything about not being able to respond. We adapt and allow that never to be responded to. And we shouldn't do that. Come on, could I have a holy grunt just for a moment? 
let me get re-energized here. All right, so now I'm telling you that we serve a faithful God. Now, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you're going to reap abundantly. The question is not if God's faithful. The question is, will you allow him to be faithful? Now, I don't know about you. I have like three cars that I know people that need cars. I need enough money to buy three cars. Well, you, are you talking about clunkers? Well, would you drive a clunker? You think that's what God would give you? No. We're all going to buy them cars with three wheels and hope to God that they can steal the fourth one? No, come on, please. You're not like that, and God's not like that. Now, I, what I'm doing is I'm just stirring you because sometimes people listen to me and they don't hear what I'm saying. So I'm taking this time to get your attention and pay attention to what I'm saying. I'm telling you that God is waiting to give you an abundance so that you can have sufficiency to all things that you may abound unto every good work. Every good work. I have a piece of ground in Kenya right now given to me, David. All I need is a million dollars. So I can build a Bible college there. The students are waiting. They need beds. They need bedrooms. They need places to eat. They need places as well. And they need classrooms. All I need is one lousy million dollars. One stinking million dollars. That's it. Just one. Not a hundred. I just need one million. But now that good work is not going to be met here tonight. Unless you're writing the check. Now, now, what I'm saying is tonight we can start. Tonight we can say, you know what? I'm not going to live a limited life. Remember that Paul said, because you consider me and your love has abounded to me, therefore, I'm telling you, because what you sowed, my God's going to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There are ever conditions to everything that God gives us because the condition requires faith. And nothing that God says is going to work without faith. Absolutely. Amen? Now, how many of you want to be as limited as you are right now? Nobody. Well, good. That's, that's a good start. How many of you want to be unlimited? Absolutely. How does that happen? Does it happen with a better job? It, it, does, it doesn't happen with a better job. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen with a bigger house. It doesn't happen with a better car. It doesn't happen with a better education. Because if that was true, then everybody that had an education would be somebody that was abundant. I know people that have educations used to work right beside me. In fact, when I was foreman, they worked for me. I thought, how long did you go to college? He said, well, I was there for five years. I got my master's in this. I said, really? Good. When you finish that cup of coffee, go load those two befores. Well, how was your education? I quit high school. Listen, education doesn't guarantee anything. No. It's good that you have it. I think people should have it. Amen. But it's not a guarantee of anything. No. Amen? And so tonight, just tonight, 
Now, don't start something and take your hands off of it. That's bad. You'll train your mind and your spirit to become people that start and never finish. But if you are passionate, say, you know what? I am not going to stay where I'm at when God has offered me a door to come through. So if we're going to walk through that door, then let's make it a point to walk through the door. That means that when we sow a seed every day, you thank God for that harvest. Because if he's faithful to come and to receive us when Jesus comes, he's faithful to bring forth the harvest. He cannot or he'll lie, David. So I know that God's going to do it. So I just thank him, praise him, voice my confidence in him before I ever see it. It is the language of faith. We discovered this Sunday it was the language of praise. It's prophetic. All right? So, tonight, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar. It doesn't matter if it's a penny, a nickel. It doesn't matter. What it has to be is your best. It has to be your expression of faith. Now, I'm not after your money. I'm after God's harvest for your life. If you think this, this money right here is going to make or break me, it's not going to make or break me. Listen, it's not going to. It's just not going to. But I'm telling you, it will make a difference in your future. And so if we today make a decision, say this is going to be my best, God, and God, I'm going to change my life. I am not going to be the same. And so as we start sowing, I'm telling you, we will start reaping. Supernaturally, we will start reaping. So, as we get ready to sow our seed, you say, are you still going to preach? And I just preach enough for you for 10, 10 Sundays. Hallelujah. So, as we give, David, you, Lord, you, you see me, and I've seen you go from nothing to to. Absolutely, God has been very good to you. Yep, you had nothing, buddy. I remember when I remarried you and Sharon in a yard because that's the cheapest place we could find. And uh, I've seen David prosper and I've seen him be blessed. And uh, so I'm not even going to tell you the things that that has happened in his life, but he's a blessed man. But on the other hand, when David first met me i lived in a 146 year old funeral home yeah we had to cast the devils out of it the first day we moved into it because things were creaking things were moving and all that they asked me the neighbor came up to me a while back and said man he said whatever happened he said man you moved out he said man those people's got dishes flying through the air man he said voices coming over the phones ringing and talking he said the place is crazy must be all the devils in hell came back there which i didn't try to explain to him he's a lutheran that's okay and uh, I, i said well i don't know i didn't have those problems we cast them out he said well they all came back when you left and uh now so look Now, you can be blessed, or you can stay right where you're at. And it's not about having stuff. It's about being equipped to do stuff. That's what it's about, to abound under every good work. Wow. It's not in the hands of God. He's already said, this is what's going to happen. Now, if you do this, 
this will happen. If you don't, it's not going to happen. So it's up to you. It's kind of like if God gives you the tools to do something and you don't build the house, if you're in the rain, it's your own fault. Right? Come on, if you're in the rain, it's your own fault. If somebody gives you a visa card and says, here, whatever you need, go ahead and get, and you go hungry, it's your own fault. Come on. <clears throat> so if somebody gives you a key and says, go on in the house, and you don't go in there, and we come and find you frozen, it's not that we didn't like you. We gave you the key. It was your choice. You just froze for nothing. So tonight, make a decision. Do I want God to be more involved than he has ever been involved? Do I want an abundant life? Do I want God to provide for me instead of my work? Not that your work is not important. You should work. But you should also be a giver and a receiver. A giver and a receiver. A giver and a receiver. Let me tell you a, a story about a friend of mine. His name was Oral Roberts. Some of you have never heard of him, and that, that will be one of the great mishaps of your life as you never got to know him. But he died. And uh, he raised up one of the ten top academic colleges in the United States of America, Oral Roberts University. And uh, when he got ready to retire, they wanted to give him a retirement plan. He said, you want to give me a retirement plan? They said, yes, Chancellor. He said, what would I do with my faith? If you give me money, what am I going to do every day with my faith? They said, well, we're just wanting you to live comfortably. He said, I'll live comfortably by my faith, but I won't live comfortably by your money. Amen. You are not my source. He left Oral Roberts without a house, without a car, with $4,000 in his pocket. Now, that's all, he that's all he had. He just left, and he moved to California. So, <clears throat> Phyllis and I went to see him after he moved to California. And he said, he said, hey, Peter, he said, somebody gave me a car. Somebody gave him a, I don't know, a Ford Victoria or something like that. They took us a ride in it. Yeah, a big car, and they took us right in. He said, and, he said, uh, I made a deal with the guy that has this condo. I, I make payments. He said, I'm buying this condo. And I'm thinking, okay. Had $4,000. That's running out pretty quick. And uh, he started believing God. And pretty soon, the condo was paid off. Pretty soon, when I talked to him last time, he said, I'm using my faith that I'll have a million dollars to give to Oral Roberts when I die. Amen. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm believing God will have a million dollars to leave to Oral Roberts University for the students. And I was at his house one day, and uh, uh, any of you ever heard of, is it Lee Iacocamani? Uh, was over, he had been to visit Oral. And uh, they had been talking about God. And Oral, I came in the house, and he said, Peter, he said, here, I want you to meet this guy. I, I met him. He said, keep him in prayer. He said, he ain't got no money. He said, he just sold his pizza business for $25 million. He thinks he's rich. 
He said, he hasn't learned much yet. And I thought, well, give me that $25,000. I'll think like that. And Oral said, but I led him to Jesus. He says he's a Christian now. He said, uh, but keep him in prayer because that $25 million is not going to do much in this world for the kingdom. Now, this guy was 92 years old, still thinking about the kingdom and still living off of seed faith. Living off of seed faith. Yeah. And so, let you and I live off of our seed. Let's live by faith that God gave us the life of the just. And let's make a decision today that, you know what? I'm not going to be here two years from now. Not going to be here. I'm going to be somewhere else. I'm going to be doing something else. And so let's start sowing seed, purpose in our mind, and then start just writing it down. Everything. God right here. I just want to remind you, I sowed a seed the other day, and I believe, God, that you have multiplied that seed. I just believe, God, you multiplied that seed. And let God be God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray over your seed. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray today, God. Number one, we are assured and convinced of your faithfulness. God, today, we are making a decision that we are not going to be limited and we are not going to accept where we're at when you have called us and invited us challenged us and even equipped us with seed and faith to live in a place of abundance now God we're going to be known as the people of God let our faith be talked about as it was of the church of Macedonia all through the world where Paul said when we mention your name, we don't even have to preach the gospel. People have already heard. God, let our faith be a marker today and let us begin to abound to all sufficiency unto every good work. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, Mike. Stand your feet and bring your seed. Hallelujah. preaching a message what to do when I don't want him yeah you know lots of people are Christians they just don't want God it's their desire wanes you know how hot people are man when you get on fire you, oh God you can't even get around and say oh thank God I'll be glad when they slow down well guess what we slow down and pretty soon we don't know what to do when our want to her is broke so we end up coming to church, and we just accept where we are. I'm going to be teaching you what to do when you don't want him. Mm-hmm.
Well, I'm comfortable. You know, we used to get up and pray. We don't pray now. We just, hallelujah. We go out and get coffee and read the magazine, read the newspaper, and just move on in life. But it used to be, oh, man, we can't wait to pray in the morning. I'm getting up. Hallelujah. What happened? Your want to is broke. Amen. I'm telling you, it needs to be fixed. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. You can't get anything without coveting it in the kingdom. Oh, it's wrong to covet. No, it's wrong to covet earthly things. But it's not wrong to covet the things of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, last verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. So, I'm going to be preaching on how to fix your want to her. Yep, we're going to find out how we can get back to where we used to be. How do we ever drift? You know, you wake up one day and you think, did I marry her? You know, you haven't kissed her in five years. Amen. Like, come on. Let's get back to where we used to be with God. Amen. Amen. Let's become so dangerous to the devil that he prays we will sleep late in the morning. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> 